Well, this is a big week for NATO leaders, for G7 leaders. The prime minister is heading to Brussels to meet with, again, with other NATO leaders and to attend a G7 heads of state and government meeting. To discuss Ukraine, Justin Trudeau will also address the European Parliament this week. So lots on the plate. Today, Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie said that Canada will levy further sanctions against individuals and companies in Russia. She also said the war in Ukraine poses a, quote, existential question to Western democracies, democracies such as ours. And Jolie says that's why Canada will continue to put economic pressure on Vladimir Putin. We need to make sure that Ukrainians win this war. Vladimir Putin cannot prevail. This is a question that is existential to the West and to the world's stability. It comes on the heels of another deadly weekend in Ukraine, with civilians once again the target for Russian attacks. The Black Sea port city of Mariupol, which we've talked about a lot in the last few weeks, remains under siege nearly, well, more than four weeks now. Today, searchers continue to look for people trapped in the rubble of yet another bombed-out building that was being used for people to shelter from the constant bombardment. In that town of as many as 400,000 people at one point, many are still trapped, running short of all basic supplies, such as food and water, medicine, and getting help to them because humanitarian corridors have not been obeyed by Russia. They have not allowed people to enter or leave. Well, getting help to them is proving extremely difficult. Here's UNICEF's James Elder. It's about getting that medical supplies, be it respirators, be it, you know, midwifery kits. Amy, mums are having babies in bunkers and it's mm. getting that to those cities that are really under siege. Of course, today when Russia demanded that Mariupol surrender, the answer was no. European Union's policy chief calls what's happening in that city a war crime. Meantime, yesterday, there was an absolutely devastating attack on a large shopping center just outside of downtown Kiev on Sunday. It killed at least eight people, wrecked nearby buildings. It left smoking piles of rubble, twisted wreckage of burned out cars spread over several hundred meters. So inside Ukraine tonight, people witnessing civilians being attacked indiscriminately expect something from this meeting this week, this NATO meeting, this G7 meeting. They expect leaders such as Justin Trudeau to do more. Joining me now from Kyiv, again under curfew tonight, is Oleksandra Matviachak, a human rights lawyer and the head there of the Center for Civil Liberties. Thank you for being here tonight. Hello. It's been, I mean, from those of us watching from afar, when we saw the, the destruction of the, of the shopping center yesterday, the attacks on residential buildings of the last week, it feels like something has changed in the way that Russia is is attacking civilians. And I guess as, as a head of the Center for Civil Liberties, how are you witnessing that over the last while? When the war started, we restored our initiative, Euromaidan SOS, and brought up several hundreds of volunteers in order to do all necessity work in this moment. And one of our direction of work is documenting war crimes. So I can clearly state that, unfortunately, with the first day of the war, Russia used war crimes as a tool of conducting this war. And such kind of events and cases when Russia's troops uh, deliberately shelling on residential buildings, on schools, on kindergarten, on shopping mall is uh, very widespread. We have seen, I think, I mean, we've certainly seen President Zelensky. We've seen, I spoke to uh, Dmitry Guerin from Mariupol the other day. Certainly the idea is that they're now trying to lay siege to cities and, and shorten the supply of food, things that people need to live. 
Uh, they tried to circle Kiev for for maybe more than one and week and a half, but they failed. And I hope that they will not succeed in this attempt. Uh, but yes, they 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 have this course to isolate the cities in order to stop local resistance. We see the bright example of Mariupol, uh, which for 26 days are levering with the ground. Uh, like uh, then we have from official sources information that 19% of buildings are shelling and destroyed in the city. So the city has been almost completely, completely destroyed, I understand. Um, what else are you hearing from different people around the country right now compared to what we were talking about a week and a half ago? It has been nearly a month now. It's very hard to live under those conditions for, for weeks and weeks on end. How much how much more difficult is it getting for people in different cities around the country who found themselves uh, under siege? Like, uh, if you ask uh, how how to be in war, I, I can answer that it's very awful. Yeah. Because uh, it's not something which you, you can to prepare for if you are ordinary people and, uh, and uh, not fall in love in military. And uh, you had uh, your ordinary life, uh, you had uh, your families, you have uh, your job, but now everything is ruins. And uh, now we have uh, not only uh, separate, uh, separated uh, families and uh, destroy, destroyed buildings, uh, we have uh, injured people, we have uh, killed people, we have people uh, who started to, to do the things which they never expected from themselves to start, like uh, join to territorial defense or train with the gangs or uh, make some medical assistance, etc. Uh, but uh, I must admit that um, I always say that I never wish any nation to go such, through such kind of time and such uh, challenges. But uh, it uh, has also another effect. Uh, we have a huge wave of solidarity among the nations and uh, people help each other and uh, protect each other and take care about each other. And uh, it uh, looks like ordinary people who uh, do unordinary things. And uh, it shows us that uh, these dramatic times provide a chance uh, for us to be a better than we are. And I looked at your, I was obviously looking at what you'd put up on social media. I was struck by the, you mentioned at one point that your book club was supposed to meet on February 27th. And I was trying to picture just how much things had changed in your life, even though you were always active, um, just how difficult it must be and how challenging it must be to continue to do your work day in, day out as this is happening around you. I try not to focus on my own emotions uh, right. because I need I need to, to do my work and uh, it's like a survival model. Uh, we now concentrated on human pains and we need to uh, like to leave some energy. <laughs> so if we will start to think and to reflect about our previous life, it can provoke not uh, good results. So we leave everything for further when the war will finish, then we will start reflecting about everything which we go through. You, um, What is now needed? Uh, we've talked a lot about the need for, for to protect the skies. 
is that still and you posted a picture of yourself with Joe Biden today back in 2014 when as vice president he was in charge of the Ukraine file um we're still waiting we but we you and I spoke about this two and a half weeks ago and you're still waiting for proper defenses yes and this is a huge problem because we have no time uh, all, all these debates all this wasting time resulted in numerous civilian deaths and every every day every night we have a new uh, casualties among civilians and new uh, broken residential buildings and new uh, numbers of uh, killed and injured people and a new ruined human lives and we ask for first time to uh, close the sky uh, and then we was told that it's impossible uh, and, okay, and we say okay but please provide us alternative. We will close the sky by our own efforts. Uh, we need a weapons in order to, to do it. Uh, we need uh, large distance um, weapons uh, like air, uh, air, airplane, fighter planes, jets, uh, uh, air defense system. I'm not a military expert, I'm human rights lawyer, but I understand the difference between drone and between fighter planes it's a huge yeah. difference yes without it though i think what we started to witness is that it's very under these cities where they can't get out we we heard today about another humanitarian corridor being fired people in a humanitarian corridor being fired on you know it, what's been happening feels like the targeting of civilians has become the point of russia's war russia's not fighting soldiers they're literally fighting the innocent people of Ukraine, or at least they're they're attacking the innocent people of Ukraine. See the tactics of Russian troops. Uh, before this war started, the world thinks that Russia is the second powerful army in the world. But now we see that it's not true, that uh, Russia uh, army couldn't fight honestly. And that's why they need to uh, kill in civilians in order to stop local resistance. It's because also they become victims of Russian propaganda by themselves. They were sure that when they appeared in Ukrainian territory, they will face only with Ukrainian army. And they was non-prepared that they have to face with the whole Ukrainian people. And now they started physically uh, liquidation of peaceful towns, cities and settlements, isolate them uh, to put uh, people in, um, to, to be in basement for days without food, water, medical care, electricity, only in order to stop local resistance. Because we see in Kherson, in Melitopol, in Berdyansk, in other cities which is under Russian occupation, people unarmed go to the central square with Ukrainian flags and face-to-face uh, -to, -face to Russian soldiers and say them, go away. I'm speaking with Alexandra Matvichuk, a human rights lawyer in Kyiv, head of the Center for Civil Liberties. When we come back, a bit more about what more the West can do, what more allies can now do, must do, to help better protect Ukrainian civilians. That's next. I'm back with Alexandra Matvichuk, a human rights lawyer, head of the Center for Civil Liberties. She's speaking to me tonight from Kyiv. Alexandra, when we look at the, how the situation has progressed, I think a lot of people, my sense is a lot of people outside of Ukraine had no didn't prepare for anything that was going to last for a month or longer what else needs to be done now from countries like canada countries like the united states to better or at least continue to help um 
people on the ground in Ukraine. I understand that a lot of supplies are not getting in as fast as they should be, or at least as fast as they are needed. Putin uh, thought that the West will not be able to unite and uh, to stand uh, together with Ukraine. And uh, it's very important for Canada to unite all Western democracies uh, with with one consolidated strategy. I think this is something which Putin is afraid uh, because uh, if authoritarian regimes cooperate with each other, as we see on examples of Russia and Belarus, so it's impossible um, and there is no excuse for Western democracies uh, to to cooperate together in order to 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 help Ukraine, and here we have uh, problems uh, with uh, proactive actions. Uh, if we go to, into details, for example, of um, imposed sanctions and take a sanction list, there is a sanction list uh, uh, of uh, Russian oligarchs and top officials made by USA, uh, sanction list made by Great Britain, and sanction list made by EU. And when we compare the sanctions list, we will understand that some people are missing, uh, some people not include. Uh, so it's it's a different sanctions list. And even in this small detail, there is no unity. Uh, gonna... Also, go ahead. Sorry. Also, if we go into details uh, about a ban of SWIFT, uh, we uh, we are looking to uh, from the West that all Russian banks were banned from SWIFT. But then, because they have no unity between Western democracies, only several Russian banks were banned from SWIFT, and among them, the, it was there is no Sberbank, which is the biggest bank of Ukraine. So once again, we need immediate proactive actions, and we need unity uh, between democracies and between countries who declare that human rights, rule of law, and democracy is their values. What's interesting, Alexandra, is that here, everyone talks about how unified everybody is, how unified the US, the EU, Canada, UK are. But from where you're sitting, you don't see that unity. You're not seeing the kind of unity you want to see. Uh, it's understandable in our position because <laughs> we try to survive and we see the weak point. On another side, I'm we very inspiring the wave of solidarity throughout the world. We really feel this wave of solidarity. We're very grateful, but we are dying, and maybe that's why we have the right to ask to be more proactive, to be more convincing, uh, to be more united, uh, to help us to stand in this battle. Because it's not only bat a battle about our country and about our people, it's a battle about freedom. And now we're only far front of this battle. And I know this for sure because I have studied Russia for years and we closely work with our colleagues from Russia, Russian human rights defenders. And I remember that when earlier I asked them uh, how we can help you because they faced with a lot of persecution with uh, uh, with repression legislation, with prohibition of their work, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, including disinformation campaigns and uh, and uh, like uh, bullying in the Russian media, they always answer: "If you want to help us, please be successful." And it means that when they succeed in a model of democratic transformation, 
it will have a huge impact to Russia itself. In this regard, Ukraine is a key to Russia. As a last question for you, Alexander, I know it's spring in Kiev. I know it's starting to get warmer. The flowers are coming out. Do you still feel, do you feel a sense of hope for the future still? Um, frankly speaking, I, I'm a human I'm being, I'm ordinary woman. And um, like my mood also changed from, from day to day, from hours to hours. Because even if I'm professional human rights defenders, it's very hard to stand indifferent when you started to uh, get know some information from what's going on in occupied cities, what's going on in humanitarian corridors, loses photos, videos. So frankly speaking, sometimes for me, it's very hard emotionally, but I know for sure that Ukraine will resist and Putin sooner or later will lose. Like it's a history, <laughs> history will place against Putin. He couldn't return Ukraine to the past. Alexander Matyachuk, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.